Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. On today's French Open Finals catch-up, Barbora Krzyczkova does the double in Paris. Novak Djokovic takes home a second French crown. And Britain's Joe Conta finds form on the Nottingham grass. Kim, the French Open has come to a close. We have had the men's final today and it was a true, true epic. Stefanos Sissipas versus Novak Djokovic. What are we surprised? It went to five sets. Actually, I was a little bit surprised by that. But I mean, for me, this was a bit of a mad day, really. I mean, for a lot of British fans, the, the football, the Euros had started and it was just a big, a big weekend of, of sport. And really the French Open and the finals was a great way to, to cap it off. Yeah, the only annoying thing, Joel, was that it mostly clashed with Austria versus North Macedonia, <laughs> which was obviously top of my agenda this weekend. So, you know, had to do a bit of scheduling, channel hopping. Genuinely, I was actually I was actually in the pub earlier uh, whilst this uh, was going on, and I asked the bar lady to put on the French Open final, and I thought, you know, that was going to be a relatively simple ask, you know, Austria, North Macedonia in the football. Who really wants to watch that? But I got a flat out no from the the, the pub lady, and uh, I was there just watching watching the Sissipas Djokovic drama unfold on my my six inch screen on my iPhone. Was she like Novak Djokovic? Who? Oh, like, yeah. <laughs> oh god. Maybe she was a maybe she was an Adal fan. She was really bitter, and yeah, she just did not want to see it on the TV. But um... I think that's probably more likely. Yes, <laughs> I, I can sympathise. And I actually I bought a cactus yesterday, um, a little one for my desk, and I called it Stephanos. And I thought maybe this will be a, a good luck charm, but um, sadly that didn't that didn't work out very well. <laughs> it was working out for the first two sets because. Sissipas really started started it in a very surprising fashion, I think, for a lot of people. You know, obviously Djokovic came through 6-7, 2-6, 6-3, 6-2, 6-4. But really, I mean, we were all, I think, in a bit of state of shock, really, about the way it, it sort of started with Sissipas really coming out with a fast start with those those opening two sets. He had a set point, I think, at 5-4 um, on his serve. Or no, sorry, on Novak's serve. And he didn't quite um, make it. And then Novak broke him and Novak was serving for it. And then, you know, Sitspass broke back and he went to the tie break. Sitspass went four love up and then Novak sort of crawled it back. And you thought, oh, you know, Sitspass has got to get this set, like surely. And if he goes a set down, you kind of think, okay, here we go, regulation. But um, yeah, I was... I was like pleasantly surprised I I probably underestimated Sitspas I thought he would be really really nervous like from the word go like being in your first Grand Slam final and I just I didn't ever see this match actually being a five-setter and when he went uh two sets up I was thinking 
oh, that was definitely not on the cards. Um, and Novak did seem a bit out of sorts. You know, um, I always feel like when he wears his peak cap, he's not, never quite the same. And he did seem to be having sort of some issues um, like with the sun and with his eyes at one point. And I, I don't know, he just didn't really seem completely at the races. Um, and Sitsipas was playing very well. But obviously, <laughs> we know that no- Novak, even two sets down in the slam final is you know, probably still the favourite, especially against someone, you know, who's in their first slam final and is undeniably going to get tight at some point. I think with Novak Djokovic, it was it was kind of fascinating to see how he was going to come back from that epic he had with Nadal in the semi-finals because we know we know how hard it is to follow up such a massive victory with another massive victory. And again, we've seen at Roland Garros before players who have beaten Rafa Nadal come a cropper in their next match or in the tournament. So, you know, we had Robin Soderling beat Nadal, lose to Federer uh, in the final. Novak Djokovic beat Nadal, you know, a few years ago. Stan Vavrin could beat him in the final. And, you know, with those first two sets going the way it did to, to Sissipas, I, I did kind of think, you know, was, was that on the cards again? And really kind of paying testament to the fact that how difficult it really is to, you know, follow up winning against someone, you know, in the, in the big three, you know, all of that exertion um, and then doing it again, you know, a few days later against, you know, someone of the caliber in the form that he's in, in, in Stefanos Sissipas. I think, you know, the other thing as well that, that I was sort of wondering, you know, why Djokovic was, you know, not at the races, particularly in that second set was, you know, this was a day match. And again, I don't know if there was any sort of struggles with adapting from the night, you know, the night session or effectively a night session that he played with with Nadal going into this day session, the conditions being a little bit different. I wonder if that also maybe took some time for him to get used to. Yeah, I was at one point thinking, oh, if only the semi-final had been played at 2 p.m., you know, bright sunshine <laughs> against Rafa. But no, um, yeah, I, I do think, yeah, it was a combination of things. Um, but I, at one point I thought also, you know, Djokovic obviously really wants this. You know, we could see that throughout the tournament and that Berrettini, you know, the, the battle cry afterwards, like you could tell how much it means to him to get this title for a second time and to be the first player in the open era to have like a double slam and have won at least twice on, on all four slams. Um so I did think, oh, maybe, you know, he wants it too much and that's actually affecting his game today. But, you know, as the match went on, um, as we got into that third set, there was like a very um, long game, wasn't there, where I think it was about 11 minutes long and Djokovic finally managed to um, to get that break. And that was all he kind of needed in the end to, to clinch that third set. And, and when it went to four, you could kind of tell it was starting to shift completely. And Sitsipas had some treatment on sort of his hip, lower back area. He went very quickly down a double break in that fourth set. And, you know, before before long, we were into five and you kind of thought there would only really be one winner from then on. Yeah, it was it was quite fascinating from the, the Sitsipas perspective because in the semi-final against Zverev, he went two sets up and had a bit, you know, had a bit of a wobble, managed to come through in, in five sets and... It felt like the same story kind of unfolded in, in the final in, in the fact that he did go two sets up. And then, yeah, he had that wobble in, in the third set. And I think, you know, a lot of people will you know agree with me in, in thinking that as the match went on, I think experience was going to be more of a factor. And you've only got to look at kind of Djokovic's record 
going five in slam finals it's just very very good i think he's five and one his only loss being i think to andy murray at the us open in, in 2012 but it did feel that i think that it was <laughs> the longer it went on it was going to favor more of djokovic and maybe sissabas sort of realized that and he he felt like he needed to get across kind of a fast start but I think, you know, his issue is that, you know, he's getting himself into these really good positions, but he still, I think, needs to understand that a best of five set match is perhaps, you know, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And perhaps they're, they had kind of different perspectives and mindsets going in. And, and Djokovic, you know, even though, you know, he was two sets down, he's got that sort of marathon approach and knows that the longer I can drag this out, the more likely he is I'm going to win it. Whereas Sissipas perhaps perhaps treated it a bit more like a sprint and although you would love to go kind of two sets up it it was perhaps he had expended too much energy in in winning those first two sets yeah i mean he you know you have to go two sets up don't you you have to you you can't not want to be in that situation but i think he sort of you would probably panic a bit wouldn't you in that third set thinking i really need to win this in three because especially if he if he was feeling an issue with his lower back um, you know, he's played a lot of tennis over the last fortnight and so on. Um, Just on that, there's no, there's no, from the Djokovic camp, there's no sort of lulling your opponent into a false sense of security with this. You would, there is no, uh, you know, because, uh, you know, because I've been sort of reading and, and speaking to friends whether, you know, this was a sort of tactic. tactic. <laughs> yeah, I know that sounds absolutely crazy. Like, you know, would you ever want to go kind of two sets down in, in a Grand Slam final? But I think there are kind of people who wonder about the fact that, you know, whether Djokovic was kind of creating a false sense of security and was, you know, knew kind of deep down that he was kind of able to kind of basically switch it on in that third set and really kind of, I guess, break kind of Sissipas, you know, mentally over the, the next three sets, for example. Did you did you get that sense? Or do you think, you know, with Djokovic, he would have probably preferred to, you know, win at least one of the, the first two sets? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure he would have absolutely wanted to have won that first set, you know, when it went, went to the tie break. Um, I don't think, you know, as much as I'm sure he's a, a genius tactical mastermind, I don't think you would want to go two sets down um, to sort of lull your opponent into a full sense of security. But I see what you mean. It's sort of, it's like almost um, an unintended, like silver lining of the fact that you go two sets down is that it kind of changes the your rationale and how your opponent's behaving as well. Kim, I swear, if there is a player who is two sets down and you still think is favourite, it's Novak Djokovic. You know, talking to my talking to my friends in the pub whilst this was going on, I, they were still like, yeah, but Novak Djokovic will come back in five. And mm. I think, you know, that's testament to how battle-hardened, I guess, Novak Djokovic is and his, you know, his mental strength, which, you know, we, we spoke about as one of his biggest positives. And, you know, he has needed that this week because this wasn't the first match he came back from two sets down in. He came you know, back from this, back from this situation against Lorenzo Musetti as well. And again, this, I think when you kind of look back on this tournament, he really has needed to be the comeback king in order to, to win this trophy. Yeah, he's had all sorts of matches, really. He's had some, you know, easy regulation matches in the earlier rounds and then a couple of four-setters, a couple of five-setters. So he's really proven, you know, he was the best player of the tournament and whatever you could throw up against him, he he's managed to come through. And, you know, now he's he's on 19 slams. You know, he's just one behind Roger and Rafa. 
you know, he's the hot favourite for Wimbledon. A lot of people are saying he's also the hot favourite for the US Open. So he might well, you know, have the, the golden the golden year um, and th- with the Olympics thrown in as well. It's, I mean, I see it very hard um, to s- sort of see beyond that, really. He is absolutely the favourite to do all of that. So he could absolutely be making history, uh, just breaking records left, right, left, right and centre. I mean, it's going to take a lot to to beat Novak Djokovic in a slam at the moment. <laughs> I guess what's quite scary is that, you know, we we see Nadal at Roland Garros and beating Nadal at Roland Garros as, you know, one of the biggest challenges in, in sport, let alone tennis. And he's he over he overcame that in the semi-final, went on to win the, the French Open. And you gotta look at the Wimb- you gotta look at Wimbledon and the US Open and think there's not that sort of challenge there, I think now with regards to Federer, for example, you know, on, on centre court. I think as you, we were kind of talking about, you know, a few days ago, that Djokovic really kind of I think you know has Federer's arguably has Federer's number now at, at SW19. So you wouldn't feel like there's a big over you know challenge or obstacle for him to overcome like a Nadal at Roland Garros potentially. Uh, you know, at Wimbledon, I guess the unknown factor is, and this is kind of to to Stefanos Tsitsipas, Daniel Medvedev, Dominic Team, Sasha Zverev, is how they are going to perform because I think they might be they might look at this kind of Tsitsipas run, and you know themselves be inspired and encouraged in terms of how well he has handled. I think the tag of you know being the form player coming in, reaching the final. I mean, yes, I think he had a he had a nice he had a nice draw um you know he, he did have a you know a tough match i think against Zverev in, in the semis but i certainly think those you know young guns and young pretenders will look at how Sissipas played and particularly against Djokovic in the final and i think that will give them a lot of encouragement they're still going to need to go out there on the court and do the business but it feels like with this result even though you know Djokovic won and and Sissipas you know, lost from two sets up. I think there'll be a lot of encouragement there for for players who might think that this isn't as insurmountable as perhaps it might seem. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, it's it's interesting as we're going onto the grass because we haven't had grass for two whole years. So yeah. it's I think a lot of players are going to be quite rusty, and I really don't know how the likes of Sitspass and Zverev are going to are going to fare. And I I do wonder if Sitspass having you know lost from two sets up today, you know, we know he's quite a philosophical player he's quite deep I, I wonder how he's going to be affected by this loss and if he's going to carry that baggage into the grass um, I wouldn't necessarily expect too much of him at Wimbledon like he's had a fantastic clay season but I do expect there to be some sort of drop off um, perhaps I'm underestimating him and perhaps my catches will will come good in the end but, um, <laughs> I don't know <laughs> I think it's quite surprising he's taken a wild card into Haller and I don't think it, you know, the fact he's taken that wild card, I don't think he's going to allow kind of, you know, a lot of him, a lot of reflection time on this. Maybe that's, that's the way he wants to approach this. But for me, that's a bit, a little bit, I think, surprising. Of course, this was his first Grand Slam final and he, you know, he's done, he, he's done very well. I think, you know, he's done better than I think a lot of us were sort of expecting. But it is, I think it is one of those where, I think we've particularly seen with, you know, for example, Dominic Team. you need to lose these finals before you can start winning them. And yes, we've had situations like, 
I guess Del Potra, I, get, I think, springs to mind with you know, beating Roger Federer at the US Open and coming from seemingly sort of on the periphery to, to win. But that really doesn't happen, it feels like, um, at all, really. And you do need to have these losses, I think, in your locker before you can become a, a Grand Slam champion. And I think that will, you know, this result will make Sissipas stronger for Wimbledon and just generally, I think, for, for Grand Slams going forward. But yeah, I think he will he will need to know, he will need to draw, I think, and, and reflect on these. And I think understand what these kind of matchups mean and, and, and how he kind of performed on court in order to kind of draw on it in the future if and when he gets to another Grand Slam final. Yeah, I mean, he just needed to put on Stan Wawrinka's shorts, didn't he? Because <laughs> Stan was able to to win, you know, in his first couple of finals. It felt like he had those shorts on yeah. in the uh, the first two sets. I mean, just just tactically. I mean, it, it felt like Djokovic was playing a lot more. You know, his his forehand cross court, which I think was working really well in the semi final against Nadal, you know, really pinning into his backhand, his double handed backhand, obviously is a lefty sort of doing the same. I think with not as, as uh, you know, the, not the results intended um, in those first two sets, you know, he was going into, you know, the Sissipas strength in terms of his forehand. And I think he was a bit surprised with how much, you know, spin and work was coming back from those shots. And I think that the Sissipas forehand has come on leaps and bounds in the last few seasons. It's such a, you know, it's such a majestic shot. His, his backhand is not too shabby either. And um, it really was, I think, though, that combination and, and particularly his serving as well, which was, again, a very, very impressive, you know, really top of the line in, in the first two sets. I mean, he hit 18 winners, a six out of six at the net, only 10, fast, 10 unforced errors in that first set. And he won 87% of his first serve points in the second set. So he really was able to kind of bring it together for those first two sets. And I think, you know, what was so encouraging about that was how how nervous he was, wasn't it? It, it, it didn't, he it, it didn't, even though it was his first slam final, it felt like he was he had been preparing for this for you know a long time and and when he was there he was he was full of confidence yeah it was very impressive i definitely um a lot more with it than i thought you know i just kind of thought um it might be very much one way traffic but I, as you said i think i do think there was a slight hangover from the the nadal win for for, for novak as well at the start i mean he changed it up tactically i think yes in, yeah. in sets 3 and and 4 and i think you know going down the line with his forehand I think helped um I think there were other things as well but I think overall as the match went on you just felt Djokovic experience in Grand Slam finals with with five set uh with five set matches under his belt and and really understanding what it takes to be a slam champion and having come so far you know with the you know that Nadal victory he didn't want to he didn't he definitely did not want to face another Stan Wawrinka situation in terms of having done the you know probably what he felt was the the ultimate obstacle only to fall at the the final hurdle yeah and obviously you know when Novak won this title before uh that was 2016 that was Andy Murray's uh second victory at Wimbledon wasn't it so he he hasn't done the the clay grass slam double as of yet so that will be the next thing on his agenda to tick off and I mean he looks like that's going to happen (laughs) but there's a lot still to happen perhaps you know a line judge might get in the way at Wimbledon (laughs) Pablo Carreno Bista do you see Djokovic as the outright kind of favorite going into the grass court season I mean you spoke the fact that we haven't had grass court tennis for, for two years I mean 
do you see him as the you know the number one player to be i mean yes he is the world number one but do you think because you know i feel like in, in my book the you know there's there's more challenges i think from round one to a final at, at wimbledon because there are grass court specialists there are a lot of players with big serves now that can definitely take it to a tie break and maybe it's it's 50 50 and yes Djokovic could have an off day and i think he probably would need to given you know some of the returns he's had this week on on serve but you know do you see him as as the favorite do you see him potentially doing a a golden a golden slam this season yeah, I mean, it's tricky, isn't it? Because there's one less week going into Wimbledon this year. So mm. there is a, more players will be turning up without much match practice on grass at all going into the slam. And like you said, you could come a cropper against a grass court specialist or a massive server who manages to edge three tie breaks. Um, it's entirely possible. Uh, we've seen that before. And also someone who's played this week and got an extra week's worth of you know matches in you know Djokovic probably not I mean I don't know what Djokovic's his routine is going to be because I you know one of the tournaments that he normally plays the uh the Boodles exhibition I think at Stowe Park I don't think that is going ahead this year so you know I don't know where he's gonna find his his match practice um you know in the build-up to Wimbledon or whether he he does have any sort of build-up I know previously he's not been such a you know, a mainstay of, of having a lead up tournament on the ATP tour. So I guess we'll, we'll have to see. Yeah. He hasn't actually of previous years really done a warm up mm. tournament, like, you know, the one or two weeks before, obviously on the clay this year, it was a bit different with, with Belgrade, his home tournament. Obviously that did wonders for him, but I remember he did play Eastbourne one year, but that was, I think the year that he was kind of coming back from injury, um, which he, he then went and, and won the tournament. I think he, he won Wimbledon that year as well, but uh, don't quote me on that. Um, I, I, yeah, I, I feel like he's probably not going to play, but I, you know, his game translates so well onto all surfaces. Like, as we know, he's won Wimbledon countless times, so I don't think that would be a major obstacle. And I think there'll be a lot of other players in exactly the same boat. So, um, a bit like with Sitspas, yes, he's taken a wild card into Halle, but it's probably more out of necessity because there's such a short turnaround. And it's, you know, one of the only events that he could be playing before Wimbledon. So he might be doing the old classic Rafa trick of going straight from the clay, get like two matches on grass and then having a few days off perhaps before going to Wimbledon. But um, we will see. Uh, lots to talk about, obviously, with the grass coming up. But yeah, Novak, uh, absolutely fantastic tournament for him and his second French Open. Fair play to him. He is absolutely, you know, raking up the slams. He's I think it's without question, he's probably going to obviously end his career with more slams than both Roger and Rafa. I think most people would agree that that's the likely outcome unless there's something catastrophic happens. I mean, just just on that sort of debate, because as you said, Djokovic is on 19 slams now. Federer and Nadal are equal on 20. It doesn't look, uh, I mean, the signs are for Rafa, you know, he was seen kind of limping, uh, you know, on on the TV. I think into, you know, around the the Roland Garros um, venue. I think he's already said he's not going to be playing Mallorca um, because of potentially, I think, a foot injury. So it sounds like there's a doubt there in terms of whether he's going to perhaps sit out the the grass court season. And you know, with Federer obviously coming back, you know, everyone I think, you know, particularly Fed fans will obviously hope that he can harbour, I guess, former glories on on centre court. Um, you know, in a, in a few weeks' time. But, I mean, with Djokovic on 19, Federer and Nadal on 20, if it is a, a matter of time, do you feel like it could happen this season? Well, yeah. If he if he wins the next two slams, he's on 21, isn't he? So uh, I think that's quite likely. Um, 
obviously as a Rafa fan, I, I'd rather it didn't happen this year. I think I'd like to extend it a little bit. Uh, it's quite nice having Rafa in the joint lead at the moment. But <laughs> I mean, you know, they're all fantastic players. They, they're all great in their own way. And, you know, yes, it's kind of someone's going to obviously end up with, with more than the other. But, you know, perhaps we shouldn't be so competitive about it. You know, we all are fans of individual players for different reasons and he doesn't take away anything from the other players if, if someone else kind of pips them <laughs> at the final hurdle. But um, I think the question is how many will Novak get? He, like, could he get, I mean, dare I say, could he Could he get to like 30 or is that being a bit ridiculous? He's still got a good few years in him yet, I think. Yeah, and, and I guess one, you know, consideration to this argument, I feel like we inevitably, Kim, talk about, uh, you know, when we have Grand Slam winners from the big three is the fact that Djokovic has done this now twice at every Grand Slam, which is something Federer and Nadal both haven't done. Um, you know, Federer's only won one French Open, and I think Nadal's only won one Australian Open. So again, there's that is going to be something potentially, uh, no doubt Novak Djokovic fans are going to be looking at and saying, this is the reason why Novak Djokovic is the greatest of all time over Federer and Nadal, is the fact that he has done something not even Federer and Nadal have done so far in their careers and won each Grand Slam two or more times. And that is, I mean, just even saying that out loud is seriously, seriously impressive, given the fact that, as I said, he's now won two French Opens in an era where Nadal has won 13 and is is one of the you know best ever clay quarters. So the fact that he's now got that in, in his trophy cabinet is I think is going to fuel potentially him being seen as you know a stepping stone certainly I think to the greatest of all time but I think you're right in the sense that he's going to have to overtake Federer and Nadal on on 20 in order for that I think to be potentially rubber stamped yeah and also I think I'm sure he'd love to get the Olympic gold medal as well um obviously Federer doesn't doesn't have that in the single so that will be quite interesting uh, when it, when it comes to that if if the Olympics are actually going to happen this year, um, but yeah, well, I guess <laughs> the debate will go on and on. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people won't be very happy, regardless. So, um, on that note, let's um, let's have a quick break now. Um, but we'll be back in the second half to talk about the women's final uh, from Saturday. So don't go anywhere. <laughs> This is The Passing Shot with Joel and Kim, supported by DownloadTennis.com. And now we're going to move on to talk about the ladies' final. Barbora Krachichkova against Anastasia Pavlichenkova. Um, now, this one kind of went the distance as well. We had a three-setter between the two of them. But it was Barbora Krachichkova, unseeded, uh, who came out on top uh, to claim her first singles Grand Slam title. Um she is actually a double champion this this weekend, we should say, because she also won the doubles with uh, Katerina Sinyakova. Um, so, I mean, she's the first woman since Mary Pierce in in two thousand to to win the singles and the doubles um, at, at Roland Garros. Uh, she she's, I mean, she's <laughs> she's made history really. She's also the first Czech winner at Roland Garros uh, since well forty years ago, since Hannah Mannlikova did it. So. Um, I mean, no one would have envisaged her being the champion at the start of the tournament. You probably would have said, yeah, she's she's on for the doubles. But for the singles, <laughs> I just she's kind of come out of completely nowhere and 
But I mean, absolute kudos to her. She she was the better player on Saturday's final. Yeah, definitely. She managed to get you know get herself over the line. Uh, you know, I think there were fitness concerns, particularly around Pavlichenkova. I think she had like extra strapping on her leg, um, like towards the end of that second set, which I didn't think kind of bode well, but. Krachitskova, you can only beat kind of what's in front of you, and she was just able to to come through it. And although it was quite topsy turvy, you know, she came through six one, two six six four. Um, I think you've got to say that it was just a fantastic, fantastic achievement, given that you know, unseeded to do the double. Um, you know, she beat, she had that you know fantastic win against Sakari, where she was match point down, lest we forget, and. To come from there, real, you know, real kind of on the brink sort of stuff to come and win the, the title when, you know, pre-tournament we were talking about Ash Barty, Irina Sabalenka, Azarenka. I mean, there were so many names we were, ta- Serena Williams, we, you know, we were so, we were just talking about it. We, I think we were almost kind of forgetting that it could have been someone, absolutely anyone in the draw. And it, it's proven that this, you know, this time round and I think the French Open has a knack of, of really kind of throwing up some, some surprises. And I mean, she was coming into it in great form, having won Strasbourg. And I think this was just a case of, you know, the, the players I think who were in, I mean, she was in really, really good form and it didn't matter how many, I guess, slams you'd won in, in, or if you were a slam winner before in the draw, if you had form with you, I think Krachichkova showed that form can carry you through to becoming a Grand Slam champion. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, you need to play better tennis than your opponent. And if you're doing that, well, seven times in this tournament, and I guess five times in the Strasbourg event, you know, and you do enough to get the job done, then then you win. And she's obviously been in great form. And I think mentally she is very strong she's very calm you know she's been also working with a sports psychologist so second year in a row where both like ladies champions have kind of openly said that they're working with a a sports psychologist and you could tell she was just very composed and and at the end you know she was getting a bit nervous she did double fault on on her third match point and I thought oh she's really got to sew it up you know before it starts going on (laughs) I did wonder when she didn't convert any of those match points on the Pavlyuchenko for yes. serve. I did mm. wonder if she was going to, you know, w- what was going to happen there. But, you know, it was, it was still, it was still very, very kind of impressive. And, you know, you look at kind of Czech players, I think over the last, I think decade or so, there's been, there's been quite a few near misses. Yes, we had Petra Kvitova win Wimbledon in 2011 and 2014, but we've got to think Strichkova, Von Drusova, Pliskova, Mukova, um, Safarova as well. You know, they're all, all kind of there or thereabouts, um, you know, have gone very deep in the singles competition. But, you know, for Krachichkova to kind of get over the line, it's just been an absolute, I think, bonus really for, for Czech tennis. I don't think they would have, you know, it, it perhaps kind of expected this or they were maybe kind of looking, you know, elsewhere. So it, it's been, I think, a real kind of, inspiration i think for you know all of her fans and the czech republic back home yeah and she obviously was given the trophy by um martina navratilova and i Mm. think that was obviously just lovely for her to have martina watching and you know we spoke before about the fact that she was coached by jana novotna and like she was the last person novotna coached before she passed away and that she very much felt her presence there kind of guiding her on and and um i thought that was you know 
probably quite a, a potent factor actually and not to be underestimated to have that kind of inner belief um that someone is kind of looking out for you um like she was saying in the um in the post match uh, sort of on court interviews um also really random but cool they had the french eurovision uh entry from this year singing i knew you were gonna get that in there i knew that you were gonna get that in somewhere yeah she's also called barbara so it was obviously meant to be from <laughs> barbara to barbara i mean kim i will just say that match point was so underwhelming it was a bit i felt it was a bit awkward it was a bit like i felt like it should have been replayed to be like more entertaining <laughs> sorry just just replay that point it wasn't satisfactory enough well it just didn't it, it was a bit it was a bit underwhelming, I thought. And the more I've looked, I've watched that match point a few times now. I genuinely don't think that ball was out. And I wondered, I, I thought it hit, the, I, it looked like it touched the line, but it was a bit like the semi-final where, you know, the ball was out, but it had to be replayed and you kind of wondered. But this was like, it was like the different outcome here. And, you know, it was, I think, a little bit of luck, I think, for Krichichkova, but I think fully, fully de- deserved. And I don't think Pavlichenkova was going to be able to come back in that i think she was i think as that third set went on she she was looking a little bit on her kind of last leg really with that uh you know that leg injury and um you know a a lot of kind of i think talk was around kind of pavlichenkova and kind of her experience and whether that would be a big factor you know in terms of you know the fact that she's reached so many quarterfinals before and really you know all the matches she's had on tour and whether that would have helped her in this final but you know fascinatingly I think you know Krichichkova was talking about the fact that you know she's been in Grand Slam finals before in the doubles and you know she was talking about the fact that she was using that experience and applying that from you know the doubles field to the singles competition and you know we, we know that she's I think not keen on being <laughs> known as a doubles specialist kind of going forward and this was probably the the ultimate statement to make to be you know be considered as a you know a singles player through and through going through to the rest of the season and and beyond yeah and i think in those doubles slam finals she's got a very very good record so obviously she she performs on on mm. the big stage and mm. uh, she is very composed when it gets to that point and you know pavlichenkova yeah physically she wasn't at her best and I don't really feel like she asserted herself enough, you know, yes, in that second set, but she wasn't at the races fully. We didn't, we definitely didn't see her best tennis. And, you know, she obviously had a fantastic tournament, but I I think um, Krzyczkova was the player that sort of had a bit more, this isn't a very technical term, but a bit more oomph on the day. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and um, I mean, where do you see Krzyczkova going after this? Do you feel like she's going to become like top five or do you think she's kind of going to be one of those players that perhaps doesn't dominate the sport but is a bit like a Kuznetsova who might get a couple of slams and win some big titles but isn't going to be right up there all the time I would love to I would love to see that I'm I'm still my gut feeling and I, you know probably listeners are going to perhaps say this is a bit unfair but I'm I'd still see her maybe in the Yelena Ostapenko category mm. of of Grand Slam champions, perhaps a you know an, an absolutely incredible story and an amazing run. You know, yeah. similar similar to Ostapenko. I, I always remember also Monica Puy coming out of nowhere to win, you know, the singles in the Olympics. Mm. Um, you know, the l- last time round, and I think for me that it's it's one of those sorts of stories. I'm not sure. I, I'm I don't know if she will be able to 
replicate this. Obviously, I would love love to see that happen. Um, but we know the French Open is just such a it's such a strange kind of tournament. And I think as the kind of season goes on, I think you know maybe maybe the you know the way that the tour has been in going up to this point has, has sort of facilitated this sort of out of nowhere unseeded player winning the tournament in in Krichichkova. But I just feel. You know, going onto the grass, going onto the hard. Surely we're gonna, you know, other players are gonna kind of come back with a, you know, come back with a bang. You know, um, Naomi Osaka's still no slouch on a, on a hard court. Simona Halep's been injured; she's going to be coming back. Ash Barty also. You know, for me, this, the competition is going to be so right. It's you know, this felt for me like a very much for both of them uh, a now or never moment in terms of of winning a slam. Yeah, a bit opportunistic. But I mean, yeah, I, I fully expect also Krichichka may have a sort of burnout after this. You know, she's played an awful lot of tennis. And yeah. I when was she... the last time she had a day off? Like Strasbourg, Strasbourg champion and then singles and doubles for Roland Garros. I mean, she must be running on fumes right now. Yeah, she's going to need a good week off uh, before she even thinks about the grass, I think. And... Get into the ice bath. She's deserved it, but you know she and uh, well in the doubles with her and Sinyakova, they did do the Roland Garros Wimbledon double, I think, in 2018. I'm sure they won both their women's doubles uh, prior, you know, in that same year. So, you know, I'd say she's she's on for the doubles in, in Wimbledon, but I wouldn't be surprised if in the singles she went out early. But um, I hope she proves me wrong. I really do. Um, I mean, uh, just a note on on the, the women's doubles because um, I think her and Sinyakova they they played together a lot as juniors. Uh, so they are a very his- his- historic pair. You know, they know each other inside out and um, it's just really nice that they've stuck together and got all these slams now. And um, they're actually, yeah, Krichichkova is amongst very good company when it comes to like ladies who have won both the singles and the doubles, um, like at Roland Garros, like Navratilova did, obviously Mary Pierce, we said earlier, Chris Effort, Billie Jean King, like, so it's not, doesn't happen too often. So, um, it's really fantastic. Um, even if it isn't opportunistic and it doesn't happen again, like, like she needs to relish this moment. Um, and also I thought it was quite, uh, nice Czech tennis of obviously having the tournament of their life on the women's side because Linda Noskova won the Czech, uh, won the Czech won the girls uh, tournament <laughs> for the Czech Republic uh, beating a Russian in the final uh, but apparently also the last Czech player to win the girls singles was also Hannah Manlikova so um, they, they've both you know made history I suppose uh, in the girls and the ladies so uh, yeah really really nice for for the Czech uh, ladies tennis and obviously we know that they've won like Fed Cups of late and they've got so many players up there so it's really nice that someone's actually got over the final hurdle um for once Krichichkova could be an absolute linchpin couldn't she for I guess the the Czech Fed Mm. team the fact that she is a very good singles player as as she's as she's shown at at Roland Garros but also a very very good doubles player and just I guess loves playing tennis given the amount she's played over you know over the last few weeks but yeah big big congratulations to Krichichkova really impressive stuff the fact that it was the singles and doubles and we were talking about other people, probably up to, you know, finals weekend. I mean, I feel like the, the conversation was, oh, my God, is Sviontek going to do the, the double in terms of the singles and doubles? And that that did look on the cards. But Krachichkva, you can only kind of beat what's in front of you. And she just did that again, again and again. And coming back from that one match, match point down against Zachary, it, it, it was it was very, 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 very impressive. 
Absolutely. Yeah. Hats off to her. Um, and just a note, Joel, as we wrap up the kind of last results from, from the French Open 2021, uh, French fans will be happy because Ugebert and Mahou won, uh, the doubles. Uh, they beat Bublik and Golubev in three sets to, uh, to come through that one. I think Bublik actually served for the match, uh, in that second set. So again, the coming back from a set down to uh, to take home their second Roland Garros title. That, that is the most Alexander Bublik thing I think I've heard uh, this week, serving for the doubles title, but ending up losing. Well, what I loved is before, um, well, at the warm-up when he was at the net, like, you know, with the umpire, he said to her, Bublik said, oh, I know I'm not supposed to be here. This is a comic situation. <laughs> um, and I, I assume he was referring to the fact that, like, you know, they were, obviously unlikely to to make the doubles final um but you know he almost went and won it he was serving for it so maybe he should have more confidence in himself but um <laughs> yeah Herbem, who are the first french team to have won um their home tournament like Roland Garros you know more than once so they'll be looking hot for the uh, the olympics as well as as will Krichichka and Sinyakova. so um, uh, as will Bublik and Golubev. Well, that is true. Yeah, Kazakhstan. Yeah, could get a, could get a medal with them. So uh, we, we we shall see. Um, but just also one more result from Roland Garros, and that is our collector set, uh, Joel, which is obviously oh, the, the biggest most important. result. The biggest result of, of all, obviously. <laughs> exactly. We have an outright winner. So we had four participants uh, in a tie break, and we asked them to. Tell us how many games the singles runners up from both the men's and the women's uh, tournaments would like win in, in both finals. Uh, total was 33 because Pavlichenko for one 11 games sits past one 22. I think my maths is correct. Um, and we have a winner, which is Jen. So at tdun888 on Twitter. Um, I think this is Jen's first appearance in collector set. So she's doing mm-hmm. a bit of a very impressive and uh, <laughs> wrapping yeah. it up solidly. <laughs> so well done, Jen. Uh, we have been in touch to arrange, uh, for a fantastic passing shot mug <laughs> to be sent to you. So yeah, thanks to everyone for taking part. Well done to Jen. Um, and well done to, I think, Stephen, Carol and Lee also who were in our tiebreak as well. And moving on to other tournaments that took place this week, let's start with the Stuttgart Open, an ATP 250 event. The start of the grass court season, as we remember, the French Open did push back a week and uh, yeah, that meant we had the second week of the French Open happening at the same time as uh, the Stuttgart 250 grass court event. Marin Cilic uh, came out as the winner, captured his 19th ATP Tour title. But I think, Kim, the story here, again, is a familiar one because Cilic beat Canadian Felix Auger-Aliassime in the final 7-6, 6-3. And Auger-Aliassime, he drops to 0-8 and eight, um, in finals on the ATP Tour um i think you know he was positive he said you know he, he felt like he, he was kind of playing well and you know chilich is a very 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 tough customer on a on a grass court but yeah same a same finals woe i think for for oj aliasim i think he's gonna end up with more finals than julian beneteau before he ever wins one but the only th- positive thing really is that he's still so young so actually to have got to eight finals already is pretty impressive. So you're saying his, he can beat the Beneteau record with so much of his career ahead well, of him? Well, he might, yeah, he could get to like 15 <laughs> finals and then never win, you know, or before he wins one. Because, you know, I'm sure Beneteau probably racked those up at an, a later age. But yeah, zero and eight in finals. And I think a lot of them, or all of them have been straight sets. So 
also a bit like Dinara Safanone slam finals, just, you know, one way traffic. But no, he, he did um, play, you know, he wasn't, he wasn't bad this week. It's just, um, you know, Marin Cilic hasn't dropped a set all week. Uh, I think on serve this week, he has been very, very solid. I think in three of his matches, he's won a hundred percent of his first serve points. Um, so, you know, it's very hard to to break down Marin Cilic on a grass court. You know, he's a former Wimbledon finalist. He's, you know, Queen's champion two times over. He loves this surface. Like it's, you know, his best surface. And, um, you know, he's been in good nick. And it's nice to actually see him win a title. It's been his first title, I think, in about three years. And obviously sort of suffered with quite a bit of injuries of late. So, you know, it's it's nice for him to be going into the, the grass, well, into, into Wimbledon with, with a bit of form. And I thought it was interesting, actually. FAA said, today I'm not facing a final. I'm facing Marin Cilic. It's two <laughs> different things. So uh, I thought that was quite an interesting way of, of phrasing it. Um, and maybe that helped, you know, don't think about it as a final. Just pretend it's the first round or something. Exactly. I think that's, I think perhaps that was what the, the psyche was trying to think about was, you know, I'm playing, I'm playing the man, not the, you know, the history. So that's pro- perhaps the best approach that, you know, you can take going forward, but it's, he's still going to need to get over the line. And, and just on Marin Cilic, he could potentially, I think, be a dark horse, you know, to upset potentially anyone at, at Wimbledon because he has got form there. And if he, if it kind of clicks, uh, you know, between now and then, I, I certainly think there are going to be people looking at where he is in the draw because he could be quite a tough customer, I think, for quite a lot of people. So um, let's see how his uh, his play kind of progresses over the grass court season. Moving on to the Nottingham Open WTA 250. We had some British success, Kim. We had Joe Conta winning her first title in four years, beating China's Zhang Shui. It was a bit of a, it was a bit of a, uh, well, it was a bit of a steamroller really in the final 6-2, 6-1. Really, really impressive. I think it was the first British winner in 40 years for in terms of female players at a SIT WTA singles event. So yeah, since Sue Barker won the indoor Daihatsu Challenge event in Brighton in October 1981. So, it's been a long time coming. I'd love to have an indoor tennis tournament in <laughs> Brighton in October again, please. <laughs> yeah, that would be quite nice just down the road. Bit of seaside action. Uh, yes, please. But um, yeah, no, really happy that Joe managed uh, to win that one. Um, you know, it wasn't the strongest of fields. She didn't have to play the strongest of opponents, but I don't think that really matters. Like it's getting those that confidence, getting the wins. You know, she hadn't had back to back wins this season. So to have five in a row is is the main thing. And to come away with your first title in, in four years. And actually, I was surprised by that because I just assumed it she would have won a title in like 2019 but actually she's got to a lot of finals since uh, I think she won the Miami tournament in 2017 which is her last win um but she hadn't obviously managed to win those so yeah really really positive start to her you know grass court season I assume she'll be playing Eastbourne uh next which is the week after next so yeah it's it's, it's good it's um the best she could have hoped for obviously this week um and yeah Katie Porter also had a fairly all right week had to retire though uh from her I think was it her quarterfinal um so hopefully you know she's not hopefully that was just more of a preventative thing but um yeah fantastic week for Conta um she served really well today and yeah comfortable victory in the end um there was another event uh out in bowl uh in Croatia as well of one two five 
event for the women. Bolan Garros. Um, Bolan Garros, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you were debating how how to say bowl before we started recording. It feels too too easy to be true to just call it bowl, but bowl. <laughs> I don't know how else you'd say it. Listeners, do you have any ideas? Um, anyway, Jasmine Paolini uh, won that one. Uh, so the the Italian player she beat a rancher Rus six two seven six in the final uh, to win um, her first title. I think it was her second final of the year, and this was her first title. So. Uh, fantastic victory for Paolini. Not going to lie, I didn't watch any of Bowl this week, uh, what with everything else going on. So, uh, you know, there we go. But um, that does bring us on to what's happening next week. And, you know, tennis does not stop. Uh, we are straight on to the grass. Well, the grass has been, obviously qualifying has been going underway this week. We've got two women's events, two men's events. We've got Berlin and Birmingham for the women. Birmingham's been degraded uh, to a 250. Used to be a premier event on the WTA Tour. And it's gone gone down a bit, uh, just a 250. Elise Mertens is the top seed there. Um, obviously got some Brits in action. Harriet Dart has got a wild card. Um, Fran Jones has got a wild card. But, you know, you're looking at sort of on Jabor as the second seed. Kazakina, Caroline Garcia. Um, I noticed she said Sam Stowes has been given a wild card as well, which is an interesting one. Yeah, that'll be interesting to see how that turns out. Uh, Zhang Shui, the finalist in Nottingham, is also there. So maybe she can continue her good run of form. I think Donna Vekic might be in with a, a good shout. But I mean, Elise Merton is such a consistent player. I would mm. not, wouldn't be surprised if she went on and won the tournament. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, yeah, Vekic... Vekic didn't do so well in Nottingham. She was defending that title. But um, that Stoy- Stoyanovic as well, who contemplated in the semis, is in the draw. And also Marta Kostuk, who did well at the French. I mean, Heather Watson. Heather Watson's in there. Got Goljubic from Switzerland in the first round. So uh, we're interested to see how she goes. I think she, yeah, Conta's not playing it. So I think all eyes will be on Watson, uh, Jones. And I think Harriet Dart has got Caroline Garcia. Mm, from a British perspective um but the Berlin is the higher of the two kind of in terms of you know rankings and points uh Sabalenka's headlining that one and Svitolina's the second seed Andreescu in action be interesting to see how she does um Karolina Pliskova you know Azarenka Muguruza so most of the big names are in Berlin uh Mukova as well so yeah obviously first first steps for these players most of them are on grass so I have zero expectations, to be quite honest with you. <laughs> I mean, that draw, there's a lot of big players in that draw that I feel like have been have, have worked up their credibility on other court surfaces. But as, as as we've not had grass for two two years, it's it's hard to know. It's hard to know who is going to come through and be the champion there. Um, you'd think Sabalenka's game is like perfect for a grass court. Um, so let's let's see i mean azarenka also could be quite dangerous um and just jessica begula how is jessica begula unseeded in that i feel Still, like we... <laughs> i don't know and, and right rybakina is unseeded as well so yeah it's yeah it's it's a lottery really isn't it when you go onto the grass after two years away from it like what is going to happen um but we've also got queens happening uh much closer to home berrettini is the top seed for this one and Shapovalov is the second seed. Yannick Sinner's there. He's um, playing Jack Draper tomorrow, which is quite cool. Draper's been given a wild card. You know, he's a young, young British guy. So it'd be interesting to see how he gets on. Um, Dan Evans is also there. Obviously, Andy Murray as well with a wild card. He's got Benoit Pair in the first round. So that's uh, 
It might be quite a memorable match. What I mean, what are the Andy Murray expectations going into to Queens? I I don't even know if he's you know going to be. Is he? Co- I mean, he's not. He's not on the order of play for Monday. So if he does play pair, it will be on the Tuesday. This feels to me like they're giving him as literally much time as possible for him to get ready. So I'm I'm still a bit fifty fifty in terms of whether that match will kind of go ahead i know he's kind of obviously been on the practice courts but i'm still have a bit of trepidation there in terms of whether that will, will go ahead but it's quite a you know if if he does if he does play and if he does come through benoit pair who's you know we know has been not having the best of of times late on the on the tour he could get berrettini the top seed in the second round so quite a tough it would be quite a tough kind of welcome back but um you know there's not i don't think there's any surprises there you know he's a wild card he's unseeded um he's you know he's his position is up to the draw gods so it, it wasn't really a, a surprise i think yeah it's it's even it's a 500 event and we've definitely seen stronger queen's draws in the past but you know you've still got the likes of like karatsevs there um you know uh fonini players like that i mean berrettini i don't see andy getting past him uh it'd be interesting to see how cam nori gets on I think he's got a decent, decent run through. Um, but yes, it, it's, um, I think Haller is the, is the tournament obviously with the, the more, uh, high, high caliber, uh, field, you know, I mean, we've got Federer, obviously, Medvedev sits past, he took a wild card, you know, Goffad, Monfils, Verev, like they're, you know, pretty much all there. And, um, yeah, I mean, do you think Federer is, is gonna come through like he, you know, often does at Haller. Mm. This is very much one of his tournaments. It uh, is, it is. <laughs> and he could face Medvedev in the quarterfinals. Um, I certainly think he's got an, I think he's got an opportunity. I think he looked really good um, at the French Open. Um, and I think, I think he will have no issues. I think just kind of transitioning to what he will feel is much, you know, his very much a, a home tournament for him in, in Haller. So I wouldn't be surprised if we get a Federer Medvedev quarterfinal matchup although having said that Medvedev does have Struth in the first round which could be quite a could be quite a tester um so yeah but I certainly think yeah this is the definitely the, the stronger the stronger ATP 500 of the two um and you know Sissipas the second seed on a wild card he's also got a wild card with his brother again which I'm sure oh. <laughs> a lot of people will not will be up in arms in the in the doubles draw um but yeah, I mean, you're looking at, I think the top half is perhaps a little bit stronger or with Medvedev, Federer and Zverev all of, all there. So yeah, I just think we'll just have to, I just have to wait and see, but I think Federer might, I'm not, I'm not expecting, oh, I mean, it'd be amazing, but I'm not expecting a, a Federer singles champion at the end of the week. No, I think, um, I mean, potentially like Rublev could come through, you know, he lost first round Roland Garros. He's had a few weeks off now to, uh, get back on track so yeah I mean because before his Roland Garros blip he you know is having a decent season but um we shall see we'll be back next week to chat all things uh Halle, Berlin Birmingham and uh Queens it's all it's all UK and German isn't it tournaments this week um but yeah thank you to everyone who has listened to us over the last couple of weeks uh from Roland Garros doing our, our catch-ups um it's been fantastic to to chat all things French Open uh, every other day with you, Joel. And I hope everyone's enjoyed listening to us, you know, chatter on about it all. <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been an absolute pleasure. And listeners, yeah, we just want to say thank you 
for your support you know we've been engaging with you guys on twitter as well and i hope you've really been enjoying listening to our round by round catch-ups we are going to be going back to our weekly tour catch-up and i think we're going to be throwing in some passing shot meets episodes in along the way hopefully so stay tuned um but yeah i hope you've really enjoyed listening to our round by round coverage of roland garros so i think we're going to wrap it up there for our coverage i think we can have a, a big a big lie down now kim but listeners i hope you've enjoyed listening to the passing shot and if you want to stay up to date on all things tennis on the grass court season coming up on the atp and wta tours make sure as always to subscribe to the passing shot on your podcasting platform of choice, whether that's Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, CastBox, Stitcher, wherever you listen to your podcast, make sure to hit that subscribe button. And you can also listen to us on the DownloadTennis.com app. And finally, as I said, uh, I feel like I always say this, but genuinely, if you want to help out the show and you've been really enjoying our round-by-round coverage over the last couple of weeks, make sure to leave us a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. It would really mean really means so much to me and Kim you know we put a lot of effort into this and um you know it is it sometimes does feel like a you know a job alongside our 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 kind of main jobs but our listeners kind of make it all worthwhile so um if you can do that that would really really help us out indeed and uh otherwise you can also follow us on social media we're on twitter instagram and Facebook. So if you don't already follow us, uh, you can definitely give us a, a like and tell your friends about us as well. Anyone who's maybe been watching the French Open and likes a bit of tennis and they don't uh, already follow us, just let them know. Um, you can contact us on all of those channels. Uh, but if you prefer to get in touch via email, uh, you can also do that as well. PassingShotPod at gmail.com. And we will be back next week, next Sunday, for a regular tour catch-up where we will be taking in all the events from Queens, Halle, and also Birmingham and Berlin. So I hope you can join us for that. And we will see you again soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.